0: Second Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. We're in this topic of the greater glory and in part 2 of this, this little examination of the same scripture. Let's read the scripture again. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." Last week, we saw God, who is gloriously great, gloriously beautiful, and gloriously perfect, revealed his glory to Moses in terms of God's own goodness, character, mercy, long-suffering, or patience, truth, forgiveness, justice graciousness, and compassion. This is what God himself declared about himself. He said to Moses, I will pass by and I will declare my name. And when he passes by, these are the things he said about himself. This is my revelation of glory, he said to Moses. God revealed his glory as his very nature and attributes. And when Moses spent time in the presence of the Lord, He was learning more of who God is, of who the great I am was. When Moses spent time in the presence of the Lord, not only was he affected, transformed, and growing in the awe and fear of the Lord, his face glowed with the reflected glory of the Lord. When we spent time in the presence of the Lord, we are similarly transformed into the Lord's image with ever increasing glory as we comprehend the nature and attributes of God and then hunger and thirst for more of Him in our lives. This morning, we're connecting the glory that was revealed to Moses with the greater glory that was revealed. In Jesus and because of what Christ has done because of what Jesus did we're connecting the transformation that Moses experienced with the greater glory that we are called to experience only because of Jesus and so here as we look through this passage Paul says in verses 14 through 15 that unbelief inappropriate fear the people were afraid They were not not having an appropriate reverential fear of the Lord. They were just afraid of all the things. And then quite importantly, the people were turning to themselves and to gods of their own making. Paul says here in verses 14 and 15, that all of these factors, they cause a veil to cover our hearts. Not just that a veil covers our face, but a veil Covers our hearts. We are so deceived by the devil. We are so dull of mind. We are so hard of hearing. We are lacking in vision that we fail to recognize and experience the glory of God. But in verse sixteen, he very confidently asserts, "But who or whenever anyone turns to the light, the veil." is taken away. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the veil that is so prevalent, all of these things that would be there in the lives and hearts of people, that unbelief and apostasy and idolatry and all of these kinds of things that we look at and we say, ah, oh, no hope. The nation is going this way. This person is going this way. Ah, oh, no hope. Bible is very confident, very firm in saying when that person turns to the Lord, the veil will be removed. Which means our responsibility and our ministry to turn that person's attention to the Lord. And to say, turn, turn, look this way, look this way, look this way. Not look to me, not listen to me, not see what I am doing. But somehow, in some way, to implore them to at least for a second turn to the Lord. And when they turn to the Lord, the promise is, the veil will be removed. Because that's God's work. That's God's work in them. That's what we pray for. That's what we hold to. People hold stubbornly. We are trying to turn their heads. And they go, no, I will not look. I will not look. Why? Because there's so much in their lives that has hurt them, that has misguided them, that has done something that they say, I will not look but we must keep persisting. We must keep praying. We must keep nudging and saying, look, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. He will remove the veil. When we turn outward rather than inward, when we don't measure ourselves and our choices by our wisdom, but rather we look to the Lord Jesus, then the veil is taken away. Why? Because the Bible makes very clear, the glory of God is fully revealed in Jesus. This glory that we're talking about, this glory that we're singing about, this glory that Moses encountered, this glory that is glorious and so amazing to us that we read about, the Bible says that the fullness of the glory of God is revealed to us in the person of Jesus. Colossians 2 verses 9 through 10 says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. In various scriptures we see this connection between Jesus and the glory of God. John chapter two verse eleven and then verse forty through forty four states that Jesus' miracles revealed God's glory. In Matthew seventeen one we read that Jesus was transfigured on that Mount of Transfiguration with Peter James and that Jesus was transfigured so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. The glory of God was manifest in a very visible way just as Moses, just as it happened for Moses in the Old Testament. When Jesus spoke of his imminent crucifixion in John chapter 12, he described it as the time for him to be glorified. Not for him to suffer and die. He didn't say, I'm just about to suffer and die. He said, said, I am just about to be glorified. And that's in John 12. Later on in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, when Jesus is praying, he says, Father, the hour has come. The hour has come for what? For him to be on the cross. But he says it like this, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. After his resurrection, Acts 1 tells us that Jesus ascended to heaven in glory. He is now exalted glory in heaven. That's what we read in Revelation chapter 5 verses 12 through 13. And the Bible tells us that he will return with power and great glory. We see that in Matthew chapter 25, Mark 14, 1 Thessalonians 4. Jesus is altogether glorious. He's the manifestation of God's glory. Jesus, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, is the manifestation of God's glory, the full manifestation of God's glory to us. In seeking the glory of the Lord, we don't need to look any further than Jesus. We're not looking for all sorts of things around us. If anything happens and the manifest presence of God, the Lord is in our midst in, with a cloud or with the signs and wonders or whatever else, miracles, healing, deliverance, wonderful. But don't forget Jesus in the midst of that. Don't pursue those things without pursuing the Lord because in Jesus you have your fulfillment of the glory of God. If you don't have Jesus, you have nothing else. So we need to pursue Jesus. We surrender our lives to him. We are redeemed by him. We are preserved in him. We look to him as the author and the finisher of our faith. We are transformed into his nature and take on his attributes by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's one more important prayer that Jesus prayed for in John 17 related to the glory of God. John chapter 17 verses 20 to 26. Jesus said this, My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Through the disciples' message, I am praying for all those who will believe. That means all of us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Can you imagine Jesus is saying that the unity that he has with the Father, the unity of the Godhood, the three in one, is the same unity that he desires for us as we are united with Christ and therefore united with one another. Do you think of your union with your brother and your sister? Do you think of your intercession in prayer for your brother and sister? Do you think of your fellowship with your brother and sister as the same unity as that which the Father and the Son have? That's what Jesus prayed for. It was a big deal. He was saying, I am praying. I am praying for the glory of God to be manifest so that what? So that you will be united. It's not so that we can boast about it. I'm glorious, you're glorious, we're all glorious. No, no. We are glorified in Christ so that we may be united in Christ. So that we will come together and worship Him. God shares His glory with us, not so that we may be self-glorified, but rather that we may be united with Him and that we may serve one another in true unity. To be of one mind and one accord with one accord as, as Acts chapter two verse one describes Philippians chapter two verse two describes first Peter chapter three verse eight describes that's what the Bible is calling us to that be, we would be of one mind and one accord. the result of our unity in Christ is a witness to the world of the love of the Lord. he says Jesus says you loved me, you glorified me, you had all these purposes and plans for me even before the creation of the world and our unity demonstrates to the world that you have sent me, that you love me, that I am fulfilling this purpose, I have done everything that was necessary. Similarly, as we are united in Christ, as we experience the love of God, as the love of God is transforming us into His image, And we are united with one another. The love of the Lord that is manifest will be a testimony to the world. Think of every objection that people make against Christians and Christianity. It really has to do with the lack of love. Think about it. Look at all the ways in which people say, "Ah, Christians," or they'll say, "Ah, Christianity." It really has to do with the lack of love. They will accuse Christians. And the church of not being loving. And I will tell you this, it's not about that you would be compromising, that you would be accommodating anything, that you would overlook sin. No. But there is a difference between dealing with those things without love, the love of God, and and dealing with those things with the love of God. And the world will see it. The world will know it. And so, This brings us to our point of application. I want to spend some time here. We respond and apply the word of God that we have heard and this idea of the glory of God by knowing true freedom. What that means is that we really have to know Jesus. In knowing Jesus, we will know true freedom. Freedom. Last week, I stated that greater glory than what Moses experienced is available to us today because we have unlimited versus limited access to God and His glory. It's not in a specific place. We don't have to go to the temple. We don't have to do anything else. We don't have to offer up sacrifices. We have unlimited access. To God and his glory. God who chooses to dwell in our hearts. God who chooses to give us life. God who chooses to reveal himself. Second, we have received the ministry that brings righteousness versus the ministry that brought condemnation. And we have that which is permanent versus that which was transitory. So in all these ways we have this greater glory that is available to us. But what we are reading here and what I want to emphasize even as we talk about or see how Christ is revealed and the glory of the Father is revealed in Christ. Because Jesus shares in the Father's glory and because the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom, we have the greater glory. We have this greater glory glory available to us but that means we have to be diligent to understand what is the freedom of the Lord what is this freedom and what is it not I've heard it referred to or I'll hear people say oh where the spirit of the Lord is there's freedom and then what they really mean is that they can do anything they want that's not what the Bible is saying it's not giving us license for self indulgence it's not saying there's freedom you can do you know do whatever What it is saying is that we have been freed from the penalty and the power of sin and have been provided free access to the presence of the Lord so that we can choose freely to be with the Lord so that we would not have the prevailing sin in our life. We've been set free from sin so that we can freely choose to be with God so that we can be free from sin that's what the freedom of God is that is giving us because we have been freed from irrational fear and anxiety and are instead established in the fear of the Lord we can now freely grow in wisdom because the bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom you know we're not free to just go do whatever we are free to grow in the wisdom of God we've been freed up because we have been freed from the fear of death. Because Christ conquered death. Because we are freed from that fear. We are free from worrying about tomorrow. We're not, we're not anxious about what may happen. We are secure about our futures. We're not anxious at all about what will be tomorrow for us or for anybody else. We are free in, to live in the peace of God that he has given us. Because we are freed from carrying our burdens. Because we are freed from taking up the load. The Bible says that we can cast our cares on him. He bears our burdens. And so because of all of that, because he's freed us up like this, we can live in this peace of God. We are free in Christ. And because we have been united with Christ, because we have been freed from the yoke and bondage of slavery, of sin, we are free to love everyone, free to celebrate and encourage each other's gifts, free to minister to and serve one another, and free to be united in our beliefs, to be of one mind, to be of one doctrine, orthodoxy, and we are free to be united in our actions, to be of one accord, the orthopraxy, the way in which we would practice the truth of God. This is what God has freed us for. So the freedom that we have is not that we would just do whatever, it's rather that we would do what God wills, would fulfill. Now, we must be diligent to fill the time, space, and resources that are now freed up to devote them to pursuing the Lord and His purpose. And as soon as I say that, I don't have to explain a whole lot for you to even think about this, right? If you free up resources in your budget, for example, you've had a loan, you paid off the loan, that those funds are now freed up. If you free up time in your calendar, you used to watch four hours of movies every day, you just said, ah, oh, no more of this, four hours are freed up. You've freed up some resources that were dedicated for some other purpose. Now you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's been freed up. You know very clearly, you know very surely. If you're not intentional about that time, about those resources, about those funds, guess what will happen? It'll go somewhere else. What you have now been able to free up will get redirected somewhere else if you're not intentional about where it goes, about how you spend that time, about how you expend your resources, your energy, your strength. There's a concept in physics that roughly translates to the phrase, nature abhors a vacuum. You may have heard that phrase, nature abhors a vacuum. The idea is that nature requires every space to be filled. There is no naturally occurring vacuum because denser surrounding material immediately and always fills a void. Jesus said of the man who had the demon, he said, Oh, when the demon was cast out, the place was cleaned out. But the demon went and got seven others, worse than himself, and came and found the place empty and occupied it again. The point If you are freeing yourself or being freed up by the Lord, the reason is not so that you would now have all this strength and all this capability, healing or whatever else to go and expend on yourself. You are freed up so that you may devote yourself to the Lord. The commitment of time, the commitment of your resources, the commitment of your thinking, your mind, where is it? Is it to the church? Is it to the things of God? Is it for the pursuit of God's will? Or have you been freed from all of those things and you're now pursuing other things? All of the love of money, materialism, other kinds of things, ambitions. These are what's occupying your time and your attention. So when the Bible says that we have been freed... And it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That freedom is defined in terms of how we obey the Lord Jesus. So, this morning, I want to challenge you. Seek the glory of God. Seek to be filled with his presence. Come into his presence and say, Lord God, you speak to me. You show me. You reveal yourself. You show me your nature and your attributes and so on. And then as you spend time in the presence of the Lord and being transformed into his likeness, ask him to free you from those things. Maybe you've had a besetting sin. Maybe it's been there for 80 years. Maybe one year. Whatever it may be. But you would say to the Lord, free me from this. Let me be delivered because it is for freedom that you came. And your glory is manifest in this. But Lord, as I walk in freedom, show me what I should now do. Maybe you just retired and you have a lot more time. Show me, Lord, what I should do. Maybe you have some windfall that has come to you. You don't say, oh, I'll indulge you. You say, show me, Lord, what should I do with this? Maybe I've had an open door. I don't just take it for granted. I don't waste the opportunity. I say, Lord, this freedom that you've given, this open door that you've given, this strength that you've provided, show me how I must expend it for your glory. And when we do that, when each one of us, of one mind and one accord, laboring for the church, serving one another, coming together on Sundays, Wednesdays, Saturdays, all these things that we're planning for, events, activities. When we come together in that way, when we fellowship with one another, we're saying, I want to serve my brother and my sister. I want to be united with them that just as the Father and the Son are one, just as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, just as they have desired for me to be united with them. There is also the power of the Lord Jesus to unite with my brother and my sister. I will bless my brother and my sister. They will be a blessing to me. And together we will stand for the power of the Lord. Together we will stand for the glory of the Lord to be manifest in this place and for the glory of the Lord to make a difference. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your word is good for us. That Lord, your word is transforming us. We pray that, Lord, you would help us to pay attention to your word and, Lord, to reveal your glory. Father, we pray that we will hunger and thirst as the deer pants for the waters. Similarly, we will hunger and thirst for your righteousness, for your glory, for your presence. Unless you go with us, we cannot go. But as we do that, as we spend time in your presence, as our faces are transformed, as our lives are changed, as our hearts are softened, Lord God, help us, Lord, to come together with one voice, one mind, one accord, and worship you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.